how can we improve truck safety? The NTSB has a few suggestions. On this episode, we'll be talking about two of the highest priority truck safety improvements requested by the National Transportation Safety Board. Hi gang, Jim Park here. This is HDT Talks Trucking, Season 3, Episode 5. The National Transportation Safety Board's 2019-2020 Most Wanted List of Transportation Safety Improvements offers 268 recommendations for improving transportation safety. Two items on that list of significance to trucking are identifying and treating truck drivers who may be at high risk for obstructive sleep apnea and mandating forward collision warning and avoidance systems on all highway vehicles, including heavy trucks. Coming up in the second half of this episode, we'll hear from NTSB board member Michael Graham on why safety regulators should consider requiring collision warning and avoidance technology on new cars, trucks, and buses. But first, sleep apnea screening for truck drivers. Back in 2016, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration issued an advance notice of proposed rulemaking exploring the possibility of requiring screening for at-risk drivers. The agency withdrew that proposal about a year later, but NTSB continues to urge FMCSA and the Federal Railroad Administration to reconsider. In a moment, NTSB board member Thomas Chapman explains why he'd like to see that proposal brought back to life. Don't go away. Count on HDT to bring you the latest news on COVID-19 and lots of original reporting from our award-winning editorial team. Our coverage includes market reports, reader surveys, webinars, and more. Check out our COVID-19 Information Center links on truckinginfo.com. We're speaking with Thomas Chapman. He's the uh, 46th board member of the National Transportation Safety Board. He took the oath of office in January of this year. Uh, The NTSB maintains a most wanted list of uh, safety improvements it wants to see. And each board member on on the NTSB is charged with looking after uh, two or three of those safety aspects. Uh, Tom's uh, cause celebrity, if you will, is uh, obstructive sleep apnea. Tom, welcome to HDT Talks Trucking. It's nice to talk to you. Good morning. Nice to join you. Tom, let's start out by uh, explaining your interest in this particular uh, safety matter. What, what, uh, what is it about sleep apnea that's uh, got you or is driving you? Sure. Well, I took this issue because actually I have a personal interest in it. And let me talk uh, just briefly about what sleep uh, apnea is. Uh, it's obstructive sleep apnea, sometimes called OSA. It's a chronic, uh, it's a chronic disease and uh, uh, patients experience episodes of airway obstruction while they're sleeping. That results in fragmented sleep and subsequent daytime sleepiness and, uh, and fatigue. It's a sleep disorder, but it often goes undiagnosed um, in the transportation environment, certainly, but also in the general population. And that increases the risk to safety. Now, the reason I got involved, actually, I was diagnosed with sleep apnea myself about 10 years ago. Um, I'm one of the folks that uh, had no idea. I was very surprised. It was picked up in the course of a routine physical. My doctor uh, knew enough about it and was sensitive enough to it that he he thought it would be wise to screen me. I happened to fit in the uh, right in the sweet spot of the uh, of the demographic that uh, is typical for uh, sleep apnea and so he thought it would be wise to, to screen me. I was screened, I went through the testing and uh, I frankly was skeptical uh, and I was shocked when the diagnosis was made because it was undeniable. The, date, the data that the, the sleep study turned up was, was really undeniable. And I've 
I've been treated for it ever since. It's relatively easy in terms of the treatment. It's effective in the vast majority of cases. And in my case, it's had a, a, a very substantial impact on quality of life, some other underlying health issues that can be impacted negatively. And so uh, when I had the opportunity to take this on as a member of the NTSB, I was happy to do so because I think there's, uh, it's something that a lot of people are not aware of. They don't realize how common it is. They don't realize how easily it can be diagnosed, nor how easily it can be treated. Uh, and most important, I don't think most people realize how, uh, how devastating the impact can be in terms of safety if it's not diagnosed and treated. So just to stick with that personal anecdote for a moment, I've heard a number of people say who've been uh, diagnosed with uh, obstructive sleep apnea and are undergoing treatment that practically the first night that you wear the uh, uh, the CPAP machine, it's like a religious experience. They, the quality of the sleep that you experience that first time is so remarkable that people just can't believe it. Was that the case for you? It's absolutely true. I had for many years, as long as I can remember, um, had to get up numerous times during the night. I tended to do uh, what I think a lot of older guys do. I chalked it up to increasing age and, and other physiological issues. But uh, I can tell you that um, literally the first night, and frankly, every night since, I have slept virtually the entire night uh, without awakening, much, much more relaxed, much, much more refreshed in the morning, uh, much more efficient sleep. So obviously, if you're if you're not getting a good night's rest and cycling through the uh, the proper three or uh, two or three phases of sleep that we need every night, you're going to wake up in the morning tired, uh, probably subject to drowsiness during the day. It's pretty easy to see why something like that would be of concern to a, a transportation safety agency. But tell me, in your own words, why does NTSB believe uh, obstructive sleep apnea is a problem for commercial drivers? Well, this has been on our most wanted list for many years. Uh, we've, we've investigated four major accidents involving uh, trucks or, uh, or buses, uh, large commercial vehicles, where sleep apnea has been an issue. We know that it's a problem. We know that it's a problem uh, within, the within the general population, but certainly within the transportation uh, industry. And it just happens, frankly, that truck drivers, uh, typically male, typically older, sometimes a little heavier, um, are uh, fall right within the typical demographic of uh, of most sleep apnea sufferers, and uh, so we know that it's we know that it's out there. We know it's an issue. We know it has an impact on safety because of some of the work that we've done, both in terms of major accident investigations, but also some of our other research. So that's why it's so high on our priority list. How prevalent do you think it is, or or might be, amongst the uh, the general driver population? Well. The estimates that uh, uh, that we have based on, on research are that something between 17 and 20, 28% of commercial truck drivers uh, have sleep apnea and, and that most of them are undiagnosed. Some of that, again, is the demographic. The uh, truck, truck drivers tend to be male. They tend to be a little bit older. Um, average age, about 55, according to our research. Um, and there's a relationship, frankly, between that age, that demographic, and some of the health issues that are typical uh, in a in 55-year-old men, uh, sometimes a little heavier, sometimes uh, uh, other issues. And, um, and so that's the, that's the reason it's, it, we think it's as prevalent as it is among, the, among truck drivers and, and rail workers as well. 
Uh, you said you've investigated several high-profile crashes over the years that you've you know been able to tie sleep apnea to it uh, in some way or another. How prevalent do you think the number of fatigue-related crashes that we see each year can be tied back to uh, uh, obstructive sleep apnea? Yeah, we've we've investigated four major accidents where we we are confident sleep apnea was a factor. We have other accidents that are under investigation where we where we suspect it's a factor. Um, and fatigue uh, more broadly is often an issue, uh, and, we, and we see that fairly regularly. But uh, we know that there's enough prevalence out there that we are very concerned that there's, there's more of it, and it's a factor more often than we're aware. NTSB doesn't investigate every highway accident, um, and so uh, we, we, we suspect that there is, that's a factor in more accidents even than, than we have identified specifically. How do you define, broadly speaking, a, a fatigue-related crash? Yeah, that's it's a good question because there's there's no litmus test for that. But we're looking for evidence of um, when we're looking for fatigue, we're looking for evidence of inadequate quality or quantity of sleep, and then we are looking for behavior that's consistent with fatigue and inconsistent, frankly, with the driver's level of skill and expertise. So it's somewhat subjective in the sense that we have to take the evidence that uh, is available to us uh, and apply that to the facts and, uh, and make a determination as to whether or not fatigue might have, been, might have been a factor. But there's enough science involved here that we usually have a pretty good idea when fatigue is a factor. Well, I have to admit, I'm, I'm personally a really big fan of reading your accident reports. Um, it's utterly fascinating, uh, the depths that you folks dig into to, to determine well, the cause of, of so many different crashes. Uh, but in, in a fatigue-related crash, uh, where you don't have any smoking gun, as it were, there's no physical evidence that the driver was asleep, what sort of things does the agency do to, to determine if the driver had had uh, you know, a quality sleep or sufficient amount of sleep in the days or nights leading up to the crash? Sure. Well, with any accident investigation, we have, uh, we have typical protocols that are in place. And one of those is a 72-hour look back uh, for any of the folks that are directly involved in the, in the fact pattern. And so we're looking to see uh, what we can find out about the, uh, the, uh, the pattern of, of travel, the pattern of behavior, the, the, the amount of work time, uh, sometimes information from spouse. Uh, cell phone records that uh, can give you an idea of when a person might have been active. So we're looking for those sorts of objective indications, uh, objective uh, uh, evidence that we can gather from from uh, cell phones, um, a little more subjective information that we can gather sometimes from interviews with other people. And we'll go back beyond 72 hours if it's warranted. But But as a matter of course, we do that. We look back 72 hours, and that usually gives us a pretty good idea of what someone was doing in the hours leading up to an accident and whether or not fatigue or, or sleep issues might have been a factor. So while you can't necessarily prove the driver was asleep at that moment, at the moment of the crash, uh, you can build a pretty good case that there was uh, sufficient sleep to begin with and a high likelihood that uh, that might have happened. Yes, absolutely correct. Yeah. We can okay. look back and we can see what the what the, uh, the hours leading up to the uh, accident might have involved and whether or not fatigue may have been a, 
may have been an issue for the driver. Regardless of the hours of service rules, this is purely um, going back and looking at sleep patterns and sleep habits. Got nothing to do with a violation necessarily. Correct. That's correct. Now we're we're looking for as much objective evidence as we can about what the driver or other people involved in an accident has been doing. Okay. So sleep apnea or or the prevention curing of obstructive sleep apnea is. Uh, on NTSB's most wanted list. What does that really mean? Um, do you folks have the, the power to push this forward, uh, get it onto a regulatory agenda, or do you strictly make recommendations and hope somebody takes you up on the idea? Jim, NTSB doesn't have regulatory authority, so we rely on the power of persuasion. We do uh, very high quality work in terms of our accident investigations. We think that uh, people, because of the quality of our work, uh, view us as a very credible source on these things. And so when NTSB makes recommendations, does its advocacy work, people uh, often and typically take us uh, very seriously. So again, it's a power of persuasion. Uh, uh, we don't have uh, authority to, to make this happen uh, legally, but we certainly have, uh, we think, the moral uh, authority to make the case and uh, and people will take us seriously when we when we bring forward the evidence on issues like this. Okay, so what what is it you'd like to see going forward? Then um, it's on your most wanted list. Um, what happens now? Uh, NTSB has recommended that the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration uh, implement a mandatory uh, sleep apnea screening requirement. That hasn't happened for a variety of reasons. There's been some some controversy. Uh, but that notwithstanding, uh, FMCSA has put forward some, some very good guidance on this. That guidance is available to medical examiners. Um, it's objective guidance. It's not subjective. It's very objective. It's clear. The uh, criteria are specific. Um, we encourage medical examiners to uh, apply those criteria and to screen. This is, a, this is an identified diagnosis. It's something that medical examiners can screen drivers for. We think that drivers would be wise to, uh, to seek that sort of screening as well for, for the benefit of their own safety and the benefit of their own health. In addition to that, uh, some companies, and we encourage companies to do this on their own on a voluntary basis. We think that there's no reason to, to wait for a regulatory requirement. This is something that's out there. It can be done now. The criteria are there. Companies can do it. Individual drivers can do it. Medical examiners have the authority to screen for this. So um, a, a regulatory requirement would be helpful in terms of consistency, but it isn't essential in terms of uh, moving the ball forward on this and ensuring that people are properly screened. No, that is a sort of a controversial position right now. Uh, FMCSA did uh, in, you know, propose a rulemaking at some point several years ago, uh, withdrew it again. And I've heard you know drivers saying that... Uh, they wish there was some clarity because some of them feel that their their uh, medical examiners are just taking a sort of a CYA approach to prescribing the sleep apnea studies and the tests, uh, which runs into expense for drivers that, you know, may or may not be necessary. Uh, it would be good if we had a level playing field and everybody knew where they stood anyway, but I'm certainly glad to see NTSB as, uh, is pushing this forward. I mean, your credibility is uh, unquestioned, I think. Uh, so having you behind an initiative like this uh, is certainly going to maybe help push it forward. Anything else you want to add to this before we wrap things up, Tom? 
No, we really do appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. This is an important issue. It's something that uh, people are becoming much more aware of, I think, but uh, still not enough, uh, not enough understanding of the impact in terms of both safety and health. So it's just nice to have an opportunity to, uh, to speak to folks that care about these issues and uh, hopefully we can make some progress. Well, Tom, thanks for sharing that insight with us and uh, appreciate you joining us on HDT Talks Trucking. Take care. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. I'm Jim Park, and you're listening to HTT Talks Trucking. When we come back after the break, we'll be talking with NTSB board member Michael Graham about collision warning and avoidance systems. Stay with us. There's more going on in trucking today than just COVID-19. Stay on top of what's happening in trucking with HTT's award-winning news coverage and technical features. We offer webinars, market reports, reader surveys, and more. Stay on top of your game with truckinginfo.com. We're speaking now with Mike Graham. He's the 45th member of the National Transportation Safety Board. He signed on back in January of 2020. Mike has a background in aviation, so he's probably super comfortable with technology. And one of the things he's charged with doing at NTSB is uh, increasing the implementation of uh, collision avoidance systems on all new highway vehicles. So first of all, Mike, hi. Welcome to uh, HTT Talks Trucking. Hi, Jim. Uh, Thank you for uh, having me on today. When it comes to uh, technology, uh, a lot of people are comfortable with it, uh, some a little bit less so. Can you just take me back through your you know, career in aviation and some of the technology that uh, you were exposed to then and how you uh, built your own personal level of comfort with it? You bet. Um, well, I, I started out uh, flying in the Navy in single-seat uh, attack and fighter aircraft, and um uh, needless to say, our uh, military has some wonderful equipment, and uh, especially the avionics, uh, as far as that goes. And you know, they're really at the leading edge of technology. So, um, I got to fly a lot of neat stuff out there and incredible things. And I can only imagine uh, what they have out there now. Um, but you know, the big part of uh, getting comfortable with technology is training and uh, spending a lot of time training and educating yourself on how the system works, uh, what are the operating limitations, and get a really good understanding of it. So uh, after my military career, I did some uh, avionics integration on military jets for a couple of years, and then I've been uh, the last 22 years with a uh, general aviation manufacturer, actually the largest one out there uh, with Cessna and uh, Beechcraft together, and uh, overseeing the uh, safety aspects of uh, certifying new avionic systems and aircraft and uh, flying basically brand new airplanes. Well, I, I bring that up because uh, there's a number of people in the trucking industry, um, and I think it's got something to do with um, the slow uptake that we've seen in this industry of some of these automated systems that are not yet comfortable, um, you know, handing control of the vehicle over, especially in an emergency situation, to let the system handle it. Now, that's a bit of a dichotomy because uh, that technology is going to get them out of a heap of trouble that they possibly got themselves into manually, uh, but then they don't trust the technology to, to get them out. Do you have any sort of recommendations or thoughts on, on how people can become more trusting of it and, and more accepting of it generally? You bet. You bet. We saw this in aviation too. Is uh, uh, Pilots are generally skeptical of 
of avionics to begin with. And um, the big thing is uh, in the training, and it's across the board, whether it's airlines or private or uh, that that area, that um, you always uh, you want to be well ahead of the airplane, and you you get a lot of training and spend a lot of time educating yourself on this stuff, and you're always ready and mo you're always monitoring the technology. And if it's not doing what you need it to do, then it's time to turn it off or get out of it and then figure out what's going on before you use it again. So um, in aviation, we use a lot of this technology and it's great when it works correctly. Most of the time when it doesn't work correctly, it's because we as operators did something wrong. So the best thing you can do is educate yourself and spend a lot of time training and using the equipment to get a better understanding of how it works. Okay, uh, great place to start then. Um, the 2019-2020 most wanted list of transportation safety improvements that NTSB puts out uh, includes uh, broader implementation of collision avoidance systems in all new highway vehicles. I'm guessing that you don't mean just trucks in that case. You're talking uh, anything that drives on a highway, a car, a school bus, a truck, uh, pretty much across the board, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're calling out, what we're doing is we're advocating for collision avoidance systems to be a standard in, in all passenger vehicles and commercial vehicles. And we have recommendations out to the uh, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the manufacturers of this equipment, uh, specifically asking for implementation, implementation of collision warning systems and automatic emergency braking systems. And, and let me be clear too, is these systems are there to help you do your job, to assist you in driving. They're not, they're not fully automated. They're not going to do the driving for you. Uh, we've seen plenty of crashes over the years where people have completely become complacent with them and, and have been distracted and not even paid attention to driving with these systems on. And they're not going to do everything for you. And uh, they're, they're going to help um, reduce the number of accidents out there, hopefully in crashes, but they're not going to do the driving for you. Do you have any idea of, or an, an estimates of how many crashes could be prevented by such systems? Yeah. Um, we've looked at some data. I know um, the uh, NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration in uh, 2018 is the last year we have numbers on it. There was a, Roughly a little less than thirty-seven thousand fatalities in uh, motor uh, from motor vehicle traffic crashes, and uh, out of that alone, uh, about five thousand of those involved with large trucks, and that was an increase of about one percent from two thousand seventeen. Um, I know the National Safety Council has put some things out there, uh, basically saying that collision avoidance systems could prevent forty uh, percent. Fatality rate or 40% of the accident rate out there. Uh, I know our own study, the NTSB did back in 2015, uh, we basically determined that these systems could save roughly about a thousand lives and prevent about 1,700 rear end collisions every year. Um, there's a couple more out there. The uh, AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety did a study. And uh, I think they said that over well over 5,000 large trucks, truck crashes could be prevented if AEB was installed. 
And, uh, and I know there's been a few universities like University of Michigan that did some work back in 2015 also. And they surveyed uh, a lot of large motor carriers out there. And they basically determined from the data from the survey that uh, forward collision warning systems uh, prevented about uh, 14% uh, uh, or had a 14% reduction in accident rates or crash rates for these operators. They also reduced the number of crashes by about 5% for blind spot detection. And uh, they also found that the uh, vehicle communication systems uh, for vehicles that had that, uh, their crash rates went down about 9%. That's pretty compelling. I mean, everybody's sure showing, showing a, a positive outcome here. Absolutely. So in the, in the last, I'm going to say, five years, uh, the trucking industry has seen much broader uh, uptake of, of such technology. It started back in, uh, oh, 10 or 11, I think. Uh, electronic stability control appeared. Uh, it was mandated later, um, I think 2017, 2018. Um, but now we've got uh, a whole suite of, of collision avoidance packages, including forward collision warnings, systems that uh, actually will apply the brakes and stop the vehicle, bring it to a complete stop, uh, hopefully before impact. The technology is there. Why do you think it requires a mandate? Well, um, as we've seen, actually, this technology has been out there for about 20 years now. Uh, it's been just very slow to be implemented. And I'll be honest, I'm not, I'm not sure why. I think maybe originally, maybe some of it was the cost of implementation. But if you, you look at what's the cost of not having it, um, it, it already has been proven that these will help prevent a lot of accidents or reduce the severity of these accidents. It's going to reduce injuries and ultimately it's going to help save lives. And when you look at that, um, you know, saving lives is, you know, what we try to do with our recommendations out there. And, um, and we hope that, that NHTSA will step up and uh, help put some mandates out there as far as standards out there for the manufacturers to reach for and, um, you know, how can you not afford to do this? Just think of the cost uh, of, of, of lives lost and the cost of insurance and everything like that. If you drive your, um, your numbers down, uh, your insurance rates are going to go down, and it's going to more than pay for the, uh, the cost of that technology on your vehicle. I interviewed a fleet manager just a few weeks ago uh, about such systems, uh, advanced driver assistance systems. We were calling them in the, in the, in that story. And he said, uh, he could easily out afford to outfit, uh, every truck in his fleet, which was several thousand trucks, uh, for the cost of one major fatal accident. And, you know, we're seeing a lot now, uh, stuff in the press of the so-called nuclear verdict. Uh, juries and truck accidents tend to come down pretty heavily on the carriers who don't implement this technology. So for the price of $2,500, dollars $4,000, depending on how deep you get into it, uh, to me that seems like a pretty cheap alternative to a multi-million dollar settlement. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know if you saw last week, we uh, released a uh, report on a crash uh, with, a, uh, with a truck up in um, Boise, Idaho. Uh, back in 2018, and unfortunately, the driver uh, did uh, perished in this uh, crash, along with uh, 
three people that he rear-ended in a Jeep ahead of him. And the sad thing was, is he had a brand new truck and this vehicle basically comes the standard, uh, comes with the collision avoidance system. Uh, but he decided to request that the truck be delivered without it and to save about $2,500. But now he's not here, nor are those three people. And I can't imagine the, uh, the liability cost of all of that. So, um, it more than pays for itself in, in just the saving of lives. <laughs> you talk about buyer's remorse. Wow. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I saw that report come across the uh, email a couple of days ago, but I haven't had a chance to dig into it, but I would like to explore that one. Um, these systems, I, I think, going back to the driver uh, part of this, um, the ones I've spoken to tend not to like uh, the systems in your face sort of presence when they try to change driver behavior. Now, I understand that if the driver is the driver's not going to get a warning from the system unless they're doing something wrong in, in in some cases following too closely but there are concerns that some of these systems can respond a little over aggressively sometimes um drivers don't like the the haptic warnings the steering wheel starts to shake the seat vibrates uh there's lights going off it's it's a distracting process i guess but i, I don't mean this in the in the context of distracted driving uh is there anything in, in, in your power at NTSB, or is it entirely up to NHTSA to decide uh, the sort of levels of warning and intervention that these that these systems uh, will eventually introduce? And part of the problem, I think, if it's a problem at all, is that in the, in the brand differentiation world, you have so many different brands of safety technology, and each one of them introduces its own separate sort of warning uh, process or, or uh, chain. I think it confuses people uh, when they start hearing beeps instead of bongs or, you know, a blue light instead of a green light. Uh, do you have any say in how that might eventually uh, be ironed out? Well, we, as at the NTSB, we don't, we don't mandate anything. We're not the regulators, but I, that's why we're calling for standards. Um, and you're absolutely right from, from brand to brand. I mean, I just look at the, my wife's car and my car. Uh, we have, different systems on it. And I like certain things on her car that I don't have on my car that have these uh, avoidance systems. And that's why we're calling for the standard. Um, let's make it, uh, you know, the performance measure the same across the industry. So when you go from vehicle to vehicle, uh, you're going to expect the same tone or the same warning type system, things like that. And I think once we see that, uh, we'll also we'll see more manufacturers uh, put this equipment or put this technology on on their vehicles and stuff like that. So um, we're calling for the standard to be set. Right now, there is no standard out there, and that's what we're calling on. And that's all we can do from the NTSB side is try to do that. I know we've had a lot of help from, like the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. Um, you know, they're putting some ratings out there and things like that. And that's why we're calling on NHTSA to uh, actually you know, set the standard and then make it part of their new car assistant assessment program. Um, you know, right now, if you look at what we have in the U.S. compared to Europe, uh, it's night and day. You know, all we're doing is rating collision avoidance or collision uh, survivability uh, with the NCAP. And over in Europe, they're including collision avoidance systems 
and uh, and uh, those kind of things and automatic emergency brakings and they're rating all that stuff and they're really driving the bar very high in Europe and that's what we're asking for here in the U.S. That will be a, a cultural change in the way we build and buy cars here. It's going to be a bit <laughs> of a hump to overcome, I think. Absolutely. Well, Mike Graham from the NTSB, thanks very much for joining us on uh, HDT Talks Trucking, and uh, I do wish you success in getting this mandate pushed forward and getting uh, NHTSA a bit more interested in getting involved. Thanks again. Thank you, Jim, and I appreciate you having me on. HDTX is returning to Scottsdale, Arizona in November. Now in its fourth year, the event provides selected fleets and suppliers with the perfect environment for developing firm business relationships for the future. Join a group of highly successful fleet managers along with the 2020 HDT Truck Fleet Innovators at Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, November 16th through the 18th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to learn what HDTX can do for you and your fleet. You'll be hearing more from the National Transportation Safety Board on HDT Talks Trucking, including some in-depth discussions on some of the agency's previous heavy truck accident investigations. I hope you're enjoying Season 3 so far. There's lots of other great episodes of HDT Talks Trucking in our first two seasons. If you're a new listener, please check them out, and don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you find the podcast valuable, please share it with your co-workers and friends on social media. HTT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening. <laughs>